Hello, Brandon. Well, hello, Chris. How are you doing? Oh, you know, constant state of panic about the world in which we live. Uh, <laughs> but also good. Uh, also good. Otherwise, they're so good. I so love good. Elections. I love that the news app always makes me have a little bit jolt of anxiety every time I accidentally swipe my phone to the left. Yeah, I I have this thing where like I wake up and I now instinctively check the news because I'm just like, oh man, I want to know, I want to know what's happening. It's a critical time right now. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, I should not be starting my day this way. This is <laughs> this has already really backfired on me. Yeah, it's like it offers you all of the jittery anxiety of your morning coffee without any of the motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's in fact the opposite. It just makes me want to like not get out of bed. <laughs> I just lay there and I'm like, it's cold. The world is terrible. Like, why, why, why should I not just go back to sleep? Yeah, let's curl. Let's all, you know what? Collectively, listeners, let's all curl up in a ball wherever you are right now. Just curl up in a in a in the fetal position. Hug your knees. Have a good cry. Have a just a real good <laughs> half hour sob. <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, though, where sometimes elections can actually go well. And yeah. one of those did. And that election is called the Oscars because my movie Parasite. It did. It won so it many Oscars up. and made history. Yep. Your boy. I'm so proud of that movie. And those, like that. God, that movie is so good. I'm so happy to see it recognized. I still haven't seen it, but should, I read an article about the architecture and how it's like oh. people, architecture saying it's the best movie about architecture ever made. Yeah. I mean, it's not really about architecture, but it does take place in a beautifully architected house. Well, but the architecture but, actually tells us part of the yes. story. Yes, it does. But it, yes, like it is this wonderful metaphor that just kind of it's like this metaphorical story takes place inside of a metaphorical like a, a metaphor laden house and it's wonderful okay i need to see this film now i'm very excited about it it's it's so good it was so deserving of all of the awards that it got i'm i'm very happy it, it's nice to see people vote on something and have the outcome not be like fucking terrifying weren't you, weren't you yeah i was so ready to be just like flush oscars down toilet after like fucking hangover directors joker wins awards or whatever yeah Thank yeah Christ, yeah it, like people are like, no, that guy's a fucking hack. Yes, yeah, we know. I mean, Joaquin, Joaquin got his Oscar. Yeah, he's he's was, the real deal. But like, yeah, everybody wins an Oscar for playing the Joker. Literally, everyone that plays the yeah. Joker wins an Oscar. It's a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was going to be 1917, just sweeping because it is like the most Oscar baity. Yeah, gimmicky like, as fuck. Yeah, like drama. someone made a massive epic about like venerating some part of history probably involving war and it has like some filmmaking gimmicks that young like, white that's, british that's just like oscar sure bait kept a sure. stiff upper lip through that entire scenario and you're like yes yeah. good good one old chap those the those soldiers both kept calm and carried on they really did they carried on through an hour and a half of running with no breaks so uh i did see 1917 though like i, I <laughs> i'm giving it a really hard time it is an intense and uh, it's it's a good movie to see in theaters, but it was not the best picture of the year or any of the other things that Parasite beat it for. Like Parasite owns. That's everyone go see Parasite. It makes me happy. Very good. Ah, <sighs> yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. So in the universe of distractions, I have found my own. We didn't watch the Oscars. I don't remember what we were doing. Oh, we were watching, um, funnily enough, uh, while Taika Waititi was getting his Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, we were watching the Taika Waititi written and directed episode of Flight of the Concords. We were catching up on Flight of the Concords, and there was a dip in quality in season two from season one, uh, but then it picked right back up toward the end where Michelle Gondry did an episode and Taika Waititi did an episode. It's worth a watch. Like it's It's kind of old school, but I highly recommend it. You know, it's from it's a super, super low budget. It kind of carries forward the spirit of the 90s Tenacious D show from HBO. It has that same sort of like real low rent, but 
musically driven and fun and not particularly uplifting vibe. Uh, it was fun. It's good. And, and I was like, man, this guy's a genius. And we had no idea the Oscars were happening on a television at the time, but it turned out our boy was stashing an Oscar under his seat at the moment we were watching his episode. So that was fun. Yeah. I remember watching flight of the Concords. I think, I think when it was airing, it was back when like, <laughs> man, this is going to make me sound very old. It was back when YouTube was getting big. Um, it was, I mean, YouTube was like established ish, but it was like the point at which like TV networks were starting to realize they could use it for their own benefit. And so there was like a flight of the Concords YouTube channel where they would put just like clips from the show with their songs. And it was just like, oh man, have you heard about flight of the Concords? It's these two guys from New Zealand that have these really funny songs. Oh, also it's a show, but whatever. But like really it's just these songs are funny. And then, like, I ended up going back and watching the show, and you know, the show is funny. That that Jermaine is, uh, he's real good. It's extremely barely a show, but yeah. But a fun thing about it is that I think his name is Reese Darby, is the New Zealand guy from Bob's Burgers, which is my favorite current show. And so he's from New Zealand. We did a rebuttal in New Zealand. We call it bottle rubbies. <laughs> oh no! Oh, swimsuit in New Zealand. We call it swimmy swimmies. <laughs> and I just love that guy so much. Murray, present. Jermaine, That's very present. Uh, yeah, I I think it's a fun show. So we've been kind of keeping the fare a little lighter lately. Uh, the other thing I've been doing is a lot of, I have been doing a lot of YouTube as I am want to do. And the thing I kind of like went down the rabbit hole with uh, Brad, help me, Brad. Uh, Brad Leone. Brad Leone. He did an episode of Hot Ones, which is, you know, I don't have to explain this to anybody. This is like the biggest thing on the whole internet. But I finally like caved and watched a couple episodes. And Brad Leone did an episode where he eats hot wings, sweats his guts out. He does not fair. He is a big old baby about spicy stuff. He swears a lot in this. And I really enjoyed that. One of the fun things that he, that came up actually during his Hot Ones episode, the, the reason to watch Hot Ones is not to watch people suffer eating hot wings. The interviewer for this show, I think his name is Sean, is extremely skilled and he doesn't ask obvious shit. This is not a press junket. He like does his research and he jumps two obvious questions deep to go for the super non-obvious question. Mm -hmm. And in almost every interview, he go, somebody goes, wait, seriously, you're asking me about that? How do you even know about that? Yeah. And I love that. He is asking questions that dig at the heart of something like two questions down underneath what, where anybody else would ask. So the people that are sick of being interviewed about the same thing over and over again, suddenly open up and start responding where they're like, instead of the same canned answers. So mm -hmm. his Paul Rudd one is really fun. The Bradley Oney one's really fun. And of course he got like, this is, this is a, this is a Guy Fieri stand <laughs> podcast at this point. Yeah, it is. <sighs> he got Guy Fieri. And he said his name, Guy Fieri, and Guy is like, oh, my God, you said my name right. Nobody ever says that right. And the, I don't even don't do anything else. Just go watch this. Just go watch Guy Fieri on Hot Ones. He's a lot of fun. And you want to hate the guy, but you can't. You can't hate this guy. It's and impossible. I, it's impossible. Who can hate Guy Fieri? If you do hate him, it doesn't matter because he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, it's true. About how you feel about him. He's untouchable. He is, he is absolutely doing his thing, whether you like yeah. it or not. And I yeah. I absolutely respect it. <sighs> He's a national treasure. Uh, I think you're also a little bit underselling the interviewer because like you're what you said is is correct. But it goes beyond that. It's not just that he does his research and he asks he goes like two levels deep, blows past the obvious question, and asks the very insightful thing. It's that he does all of this while ruthlessly torturing. Like, he never acknowledges, like, look, I get that you are in extreme pain right now, and you're miserable, and you're like, you can't see, and, like, you may have just rubbed your face with your chili-covered fingers, and that was a huge mistake, but I'm still going to ask you this incredibly probing question, and I'm not going to give any indication that, like, 
I think it would be okay for you to not answer it because you're in pain right now. That is true. Like, he will pause periodically and be like, hey, listen, if you need to take a lap, people have needed to take a lap in the past. Yeah. And But the second, they are never ready for the next question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think keeping people on their heels is a part of the game. That the yeah. interviewees are on their heels the entire time, like he's in control, and he's asking things that aren't press junket shit. And yeah. so, like, he's driving this bus. It's it's for that reason, I think there's a reason this is so popular, but I don't know if anybody's really analyzed it. It is special. It is worth checking out. I was like, oh, they're like popcorn. I'm like, yep, another one. Yep, another one. Oh, fuck. I've watched like six of these. They are fun. The Tenacious it D one, good. also very fun. I've been watching something that is not so much fun as it is incredibly engrossing in the worst way. Okay. Best way. So I've been watching a show called Riverdale, which you may have heard of because depending on who you, what kind of circles you run in, it's like kind of a phenomenon. I mean, I read a lot of Archie comics as a kid. Does that count? No. Okay. Uh, I'm not in this. I'm in the wrong circles. It is very, it is technically based on. Did the universe need a fucking gritty reboot of Archie comics? That's my question. You know what? It turns out that it absolutely did. God damn it. <laughs> uh, because cause the thing is, it like almost has... N- okay, so are you familiar with the movie studio Blumhouse? No. At Blumhouse, they did like Get Out and Us and a bunch of horror movies that are not as good as Get Out and Us, <laughs> but are still good in their own right. But they have this like weird strategy. They've been very successful. They make a lot of horror movies. But one of the things that they will do is acquire the rights to just like weird intellectual property. So like they made a movie about like they bought the rights to Ouija, the board game. Okay. Board thing. And then they they like were like, hey, we have these, we have the rights to this thing. Let's make a movie. Like I actually heard like the, the head of Blumhouse talk about this. And he's like, all we do is we just buy the rights to it so it has some kind of like recognition for people and then we just make whatever movie we want to make and we just find a director who wants to tell whatever story they want to tell we just say go nuts and just like put Ouija in the title and we'll tie it in but like we buy this shit for cheap because who wants to make a movie out of a board game and we just do it and then and then like a lot of their movies end up being like loved by horror fans because they're just good horror movies that happen to have this like weird surface level hook. And that's absolutely what Riverdale is. Like it is set in the town of Riverdale. It has Archie and Jughead and Betty and Veronica. And also like the, the entire second season, it is about a serial killer. Uh, like, <laughs> like <laughs> running rampant over the town. There are like, drug rings there's a suicide cult veronica opens a speakeasy (laughs) like it has nothing to do with the comics it is it is i i read it described as degrassi plus twin peaks wow that is a very accurate description that was the thing like i i was like i don't know i don't know about this and then i i read the degrassi plus twin peaks thing and i was like okay uh You got my attention, and and I watched the first episode, and I just sat there, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is just this is candy. This is like TV pulp candy. Uh, this is wonderful." And now I'm like three seasons in. It's very good. Okay, I wow. All right, that's a that's a good endorsement. You also turned me on to Veep recently, where we'd never watched this show before, and we were only a couple episodes in, and I'm like, I texted you. I'm like, "All right, I gotta ask, man, because this is a tough watch sometimes." Like. Do these characters get any less despicable? And you're like, and hell no, no. <laughs> not even, not even a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's a burn I fest. realized later that like Veep could really not sit well depending on what kind of expectations. Like if you went into Veep expecting like a comedy, but a comedy with like a, a real narrative plot about politics. You would be disappointed. Yeah, I was thinking maybe it would be like a like a comedic twist. West Wing. It would like like West Wing and Arrested Development. That was the thing yeah. I had in my brain. And instead, yeah. it's just like curb your enthusiasm in in Washington D.C. Yeah, the more you watch it, the more you realize like it never claimed to be anything else because the show is literally called Veep. It is a politics show about the most ineffective, meaningless political position in the country, <laughs> and it like absolutely 
plays on that every chance it gets. Like for I think for the first like two seasons, at some point in every episode, Selena goes to did the president call and did the president call. Her yeah. assistant says no. no. <laughs> <laughs> the but, I mean, yeah, no. it's mostly just like the most savage burns. And you can tell it's all these people who are improving and they are just like ramping it up and oh my god it's good yeah the the tall awkward looking guy who's who's a total and and the nice thing is it can be a burn fest because everybody's kind of an asshole and has it coming yeah and so it's like the 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 jonah the terrible the terrible guy that works <laughs> that basically get, gets coffee for the president keeps coming in and lording o- over everyone there but he's got this real awkward like lurch cross with napoleon dynamite look mm-hmm. and so like the when the vice president's daughter is like and and this guy over here who looks like a police sketch of a rapist like he's like hey (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) it is like even uh in like the later seasons there are times where even though i had watched a lot of it and i love the guy who created the show and his other work is also like this and i was very down with his like dark humor there were still times where I was like, I cannot believe you made that joke. Yeah. And like, I am laughing, and but I am conflicted about there it. There are places, yeah, even that joke, like, I'm not sure. There are places that I'm, like, not entirely comfortable with. And, it, yeah, and it's just like, I need, my taste is more earnest than this, not as detached, like, detached irony and detached sarcasm. But I'm sitting there looking at my wife. I'm like, I don't know that I can watch anymore. And she's like, really? I'm very much enjoying this. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll stick it out. That does not surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she has no boundaries. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, thanks for the recommendation. You're welcome. Tell Jessica you're welcome more. Yeah. Because So a, a funny thing uh, is that we have essentially married like off brand versions of each other not off brand <laughs> that that like makes them sound no but we are inverted good. in our relationship yeah yeah like yeah like my wife is is very much like brandon in a lot of ways and yeah just is a lot very like you. much like brandon's wife in yeah. a lot of ways yeah, yeah yeah uh and it's endlessly entertaining so it is not surprising to me at all that she really likes veep and, <laughs> and that you're kind of like uh, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> then um you should you should tell your wife to watch sex education and you could literally start with season two i did i, think, oh, I really? told her that before i think she podcast. will love it i was like brandon told me that this show is really good and when you're done watching veronica mars which Ooh. i finally got her to watch you should, you should maybe watch this. Yeah, Veronica, it's good. Veronica Mars is on deck. Uh, the other thing my wife and I started doing recently is we'll like because we watch a lot of TV. We get when I say a lot, I mean we get like sixty to sixty to eighty minutes after we tuck the kids into bed that we can do something. And you're exhausted at the end of the day. TV is it? Maybe we'll make popcorn and hang out, whatever. Like uh, so, last night we got together and drank cocoa and played Uno instead. And it was Aww. so awkward at first, but I was like, nah, this is fucking great. That's, I highly recommend if you have a routine, break it with something that you think is totally lame and dorky. Uh, and it was great. So, yeah, highly recommend Uno, playing Uno and drinking hot cocoa. That That is adorable. Yeah. I, I never felt more Mormon in my life, even when I was a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that you still have that in the tank. Just ready yeah. to go. Yeah. At any moment. Yep. So, yeah, you can just grab your cards, play some games, drink some hot cocoa. Just talk about your day. It's great. I love it. All right. You did have a suggested topic today. And at first I was like, really? Because this isn't like a current events show, my dude. Yeah. But. 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 So my suggestion was we should do a postmortem. I, I presented it this way, knowing that Brandon would probably have this reaction. And what I said was we should do a postmortem on the Iowa caucus. And then, I, like, I waited, and then I was like, I mean, the, like, the app, the thing that went very wrong, not, like, the politics. It turns out that, uh, in, in case you've been living under a rock, the Iowa caucus has happened. As of the recording of this podcast, we still don't actually know the outcome <laughs> of, of the Iowa caucus, even though it's been at least a week now. That's pretty impressive. But it turns out that at the center of this whole ordeal was an app that was built by a consultancy to help manage and, and tally and deliver 
all of the results of the Iowa caucus that was supposed to avoid this exact problem that it instead created. And I listened to funny story. I listened to basically no tech podcasts. Now that I make one, <laughs> I just listened to a bunch of podcasts about other stuff. And one of them is a podcast uh, from vice called cyber, which is tech ish. It's about like cybersecurity and a lot of like hacking stuff. And so they did a, an episode on the Iowa caucus and it was just kind of like, they do like a roundup at the end of their episodes and they just touched on this real fast. But they plugged this article that they wrote where they got a hold of the app that, you know, was at the center of the the whole disaster and investigated it. And suddenly I'm hearing a bunch of journalists say things like this app was built with something called React Native, which which we've done some research into. And it, and it appears that that's like a common tool set. You know, that's a normal thing. Um, it uses a thing called OAuth for authentication it has two-factor authentication codes. It uses a Google Cloud function backend, and I was like, "Okay, this is oh this God. is so weird." Like I, because like it's a cybersecurity podcast. A lot of the time, I'm like, I don't know what these things mean. Yeah, we're talking about like crazy, like Russian hacker shit. I, I have to take you at your word, but like I know what these things mean, and I know that you're close. But some of the things that you're saying don't quite add up, and so now I'm really curious about what the rest of the story is around this app. And I'm curious about what went so wrong. Yeah. It's, and it's wild to hear people talking next door to the stuff that you actually know and do professionally. And because it's a, a, a connected to world events in some way. And you're like, wait a minute, I know this. And I know that you're like 10% wrong or 90% wrong or hundred percent wrong. That is always a weird position to find yourself in. Mm hmm. And this one is weird because these are politics that are happening very nearly on a world stage at this point. Um, it's a very uh, consequential election. And this happens to be an Iowa, this piece of shit state. No offense, but you you know who you are, Iowa. This state that, that shouldn't have any bearing on a national election from a population or, you know, like representational perspective. Ha because it's first in line and it has this bullshit caucus, which I didn't know until recently that a caucus was not the same thing as going in a booth and voting for like yeah. a primary. It turns out oh, it's, it's so like much worse, completely wild fucking <laughs> elementary school dodgeball game of politics. It's wild. Yep. You can't you just see that? Like if anybody doesn't know what a caucus is, the idea is essentially like you go into a school gym and you, everybody yells at each other trying to get people to come over to their physical corner of the gym so that they can be tallied for a specific candidate, which has very clear uh, vibes of like colonial America. It was uh -huh. like, get the fuck over here. <laughs> Voting for John Adams over here. Like that, that's, yeah. you know, this weird colonial horseshit that, that is deeply, deeply outdated and doesn't make any sense in a modern democracy had a real impact on elections because it's the first thing that happens. And so people go, mm -hmm. oh, this this candidate lost a lot of momentum because Iowa didn't like them. It's like, well, fuck Iowa. I mean, I'm no Michael Bloomberg fan, but at least he's right about that. <laughs> uh, we are not. Unlike Guy Fieri, we, are, we do not stand Michael Bloomberg. This is Blake not Bloomberg. a Michael Bloomberg stand podcast. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, billionaires get fucked. <laughs> let me let me tell you about this app. So I'll just kind of like give a, a high level summary of of how I I understand this app. <sighs> so this thing it's a React Native app. It's a mobile app. It was built by a consultancy called Shadow, which, which we'll sounds come great. Back to we're gonna come back to that. Man. Don't <laughs> worry. Uh, Shadow Inc. It's called the Iowa Reporter app. It's built on top of React Native. Its job was to essentially like take all of the results from all the different, you know, places where this, this caucusing was happening, because it does happen in like fucking elementary schools and stuff. Essentially like tabulate all of them, send it all off to a back end that is actually, from what I can tell, just a bunch of like 
sort of like serverless things like running in Google cloud functions, which is just like the Google version of Amazon Lambda. And then those results get saved off there. And then eventually they would get transferred to something that the Democratic, the Iowa Democratic Party ran. And by all accounts, the app that they claim that the app worked fine uh, it, it, like as, it, until it got to the boundary of needing to transfer into the Iowa Democratic Party's servers. And then there was some kind of like data issue, data formatting issue that made them question the no. integrity of the data. No, and, you don't say. Yeah. So uh, let's see. There was a couple other details. You had to log in using a precinct identifier number, a pin code, and two-factor authentication. You had to enter the total number of attendees at a caucus. You had to enter vote totals for the first round of the caucus and the second round of the caucus. And then the app was supposed to calculate how many delegates each candidate was supposed to be awarded and send those results to the back end. So I want you to think about this. So this is a, this is a mobile app with a login, two inputs, and a save button. That's really what it is. I mean, it's admittedly like a lot of login. You have to have like three different codes to type in. Plus like, you know, I guess maybe your name if you're the precinct captain. But then it's just total number of attendees, vote totals. So more than one input, probably like an input for each candidate where you type in like this person got 60. And then a save button. And it sends it off to a Google Cloud Functions backend, as the article calls it, which like, it's probably one function. It's just, here's the total number. Here's the vote totals per candidate. Tell me how many delegates they get. The end. That's probably the entire app. So, so like, that's, that's pretty simple. But then they have to transfer it over, and that's where they get into problems. That's where they have this data formatting error. It causes it to, like, automatically get rejected. They look at it. They're like, huh, well, why? This is, like, our independent verification step. That's failing. Why is it failing? Do it, are the results of the, the election in question? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. They still haven't figured that part out. Uh, but it caused everything, all of the stuff that the app had produced to be called into question. And they still haven't really figured out what to do about it. But I think the last I heard, they were like basically doing a recount of paper ballots. Also worth noting... Uh, this app was apparently developed over a couple months uh, for $62,000. And uh, I'm just going to leave that. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to let you take that one because I know you have an opinion on that. So I ran a consultancy. We got to a place as a consultancy. Mind you, this was at biggest was like a 10 person consultancy at 10 people that were had a range from junior to relatively senior we wouldn't touch projects that were less than $100,000. So if you weren't talking about uh, on the scale of hundreds of thousands of dollars to potentially a million to $2 million projects, that's the range that we're talking. Anything less than that is not like we would refer you to somebody that's an independent contractor at that point. If you're not spending, if your problem isn't a one hundred to two hundred thousand dollar problem. You actually don't get to breathe the air of consultancies that know anything about what they're doing. You are now talking to independent contractors and consultancies that don't know what they're doing. And if you run a consultancy and you're picking up projects that are less than a hundred thousand dollars consistently, I regret to inform you, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you are going to build the next shadow. So, because you said something that I keyed off of, and I was like, oh, you did not just say that. You're, you said it's essentially a couple form inputs and a submit button. And what that's exactly what the people at this consultancy said. Yeah. And you said, I knew you were trolling when you said that. Because like, <laughs> that is exactly what they said. They go, wow, you guys, we hit the jackpot. We're going to build this thing and we're going to sell it for, not only are we going to sell it for you know, $62,000, we'll, we'll potentially retain the rights of this thing and sell it to more. Because it didn't Nevada buy it and then immediately back the fuck right out. Like they're like, oh, so, no. yeah. <laughs> and so like they're like, oh, wow, this is like this is like our dream deal. This is our pivot from consulting. Like this is what happens when somebody actually responds to, hey, I have a really cool app idea. If you'll just code it. 
Mm-hmm. And everybody that's ever been an app developer, whether you're a web app, but primarily this happens to iOS and Android app developers where somebody has an app idea. Everybody's got a fucking app idea. And the only people stupid enough, ah, stupid is not the right word. The only people naive enough to be like to buy into that are people that don't have the experience to realize that those people are full of shit. Mm-hmm. And so the entire pitch all the way down was we're talking like four form inputs and data munging and transformation and putting it on a server. You mentioned in the article, it talked about basically, I don't know, tell, tell me more about this app because like I have theories about what's going on. So they had someone look into it who I guess is familiar with like Android apps and his take was there's like a, a paragraph long quote. But he said, uh, the app was clearly done by someone following a tutorial. It's similar to projects I do with my mentees who are learning how to code. They started with a starter package and just added things on top of it. I get deja vu from my classes because the code looks like someone Googled things like how to odd, how to add authentication to a React Native app and just followed the instructions. I think the trick here is that there is a version of it's just a couple of inputs and a save button. Like that... That is probably true. It probably is. The, the actual like UI itself is probably very simple. The functioning of the app is probably very simple, assuming you can just get the math of calculating delegates correctly, which like probably isn't even that hard. Like the, the problem is, is twofold. Like it's an election tallying app. Yes. By definition, that part is simple. That's not the hard part about tallying the results of the elections. The tallying is the easy part. The <laughs> exactly. election is the hard part. It turns out problem domain fucking matters. Yeah. Uh, it's the, like, A, make sure you don't get hacked, and B, holy crap, like, integration test your shit. Like, didn't know, like... No one tested what happens when the data has to come back out of the app and into the, like, big, giant, probably incredibly archaic machine of the Iowa Democratic Party that is, like, trying its best to validate a bunch of results. And, like, no one checked to make sure that the data lined up, that they were formatting it properly. Yeah, it's a a Microsoft Windows 2000 server running, like, SQL Server 2002 or some shit. Yeah. That, like, doesn't fucking speak JSON. It's just like, what is this JSON flab you sent me? Uh, Well, if you want to authenticate, you're going to have to join our Active Directory. And it's like, I don't know what that (laughs) is, so here's some JSON in plain text in an email. That was the hard part. Like yeah. the app, I, I don't, I don't doubt that the app was actually simple. The hard part was making sure that when the app is done doing its relatively simple job, that the results of it are like verifiable and work with the rest of the system. Which, by the way, is a fucking presidential election. So yeah, <laughs> and and the verifiable part matters a lot too. So like this thing. I don't know if it included the ability to take and upload pictures, but like you have to certify, 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 certify. Like there, the red tape is there to help you at this point. It is not there to prevent you from moving fast and breaking things. Yeah. It is super bizarre how, um, people, there is like, uh, the expert beginner mode that people get into where they're like, they're at a beginner stage and they get really good at being a beginner. And they're like, Oh, this is easy. You just copy stuff out of Stack Overflow. And and like this is uh, super not the fault of the individual developers. What was it the, the, the basically that everybody was kind of criticizing at first where it looks like one owner and like four boot camp, recent boot camp grads that are probably willing to work for peanuts because how do you build an app for $62,000? $62,000 wouldn't cover four developer salaries for long enough to make this app unless these people are being woefully underpaid. Well, who can you woefully underpay? It's like, well, bootcamp grads. So this whole situation was like architected by somebody who clearly demonstrated a ton of hubris. This is easy. This problem domain is easy. Everybody else is overthinking this. But this is what the importance of like product ownership is about, that somebody understands the problem domain deeply and is like, okay, hold on. We're not doing something as important as an election tallying app we're not going to do without deep understanding of what the needs are. Okay. So what are the requirements for certification and verification? 
how do we, you know, have a lock and dam system where at every stage we can verify it went here, here's the results. It went here, here's the results. And, and you can't afford any data loss along the way. There's no such thing as data loss allowed. And so you go, oh, wow, that changes how we, you know, use the system dramatically. We can't just sort of like bucket brigade some data across a thing and hope it gets across the wire properly. You have to like in lockstep. Okay. Yes, it went here. All right. All the data is in. Yes, it went here. All the data is in and verified. There are paperback, like visual screenshots or whatever of paper backups as you go along the way to where it literally would have been better at this point and less time consuming if no computers were involved whatsoever that at the end people gathered together and like tallied up on a piece of paper how many votes and how many delegates went to each candidate like you've congratulations you've made a system that's worse than getting all the people who who had these ballots together into a room and write it on a chalkboard yeah it's also worth noting that that same podcast episode goes on to mention that basically Every single cybersecurity person who works on election security has the exact same recommendation that you just made. All of them are like, oh, the way that you keep election secure is you just use paper. You don't use technology. <laughs> like, you're asking me to tell you how to, how to securely, how to build a secure technology for holding elections. And what I am telling you is that you should not do that. What you should do to have us like the secure technology is paper. Yeah. You're done. That's all. You know what paper doesn't run? NPM install. It's true. It's very true. So I looked at the website for, for Shadow. It's interesting. So they two things are interesting. One, Shadow specifically works on political technology. Like it is a company that is intended to like provide technology solutions for political organizations, specifically progressive political organizations. So like before we dunk on them too hard, like I, I, I can, I can absolutely understand the world that is like, or like the, the, the motivation that is like, look, I have these technology skills. I care about progressive causes. What if we just like put those together? Like I, I can see how someone would arrive at that. Um, so it's not just uh, it's not just a software consultancy, but notably, it's also not a consultancy. Nowhere on their website do they mention doing consulting. They sell products, which again, like, is a fine thing. Like, they're products that are meant to be used by like political campaigns and to specifically help with the things that political parties would have to deal with. But they don't mention being you know available for hire to build apps for people like it's just like no you can you know use our products like we have tools to help you but we don't we don't build like tech products you know to spec for hire that's i did not expect this like i did I, this is not what i expected to find when i looked at this um also they're hiring so it's sort of it's instead of it being like a, a like a shitty consultancy it's like a shitty startup which is more typical, yeah. actually, in this case. That makes more sense to me because I have seen yes. a lot of shitty startups that are like, hey, we're, you know, I can't, we can't pull in, you know, top talent, but we have this mission and we're going to pull in mission driven people that don't have a lot of industry experience and are demanding industry salaries. Like, we're going to take people that are like, hey, come work for us for, you know, $35,000 a year or whatever, and you're going to get experience. You're going to get to have a job on your resume. You're going to have an impact. Uh, and then, you know, like this is going to make your career. And if we do blow up, great, you know, we'll take you with us. That's what yeah. a lot of, there are a shit ton of startups that make that pitch to people. I haven't seen that work out for anybody yet, but keep your eyes peeled, I guess. It's also, I think it's really interesting to talk about this and, and to hear it reported on. I mean, A, just because it's weird, like I said, to hear someone talk, like say things like React Native or Google Cloud Platform in the middle of a podcast that is ostensibly not about software development at all. But it's also interesting to hear lots of people talking about this in varying levels of shock. That like, you know, like, well, I mean, it just sounds like 
This thing was just kind of slapped together and someone just followed some tutorials and they didn't really test it well and blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, like you just said, you go look at it and you're like, this is a startup. This is a startup whose one front end engineering position is for a contract gig that ends in March. Uh, that's their one software opening. That and a WordPress developer. And if you work in software, like you immediately get a very clear picture of like, no, 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 no. This is, this is absolutely par for the course. This is how like most yeah. software is built. And especially most software from like very small startup-y companies that are just trying to scrape by. Yep. But like even at big companies, most software is a mess on the inside. Yeah. It's, a, it's a miracle that it works at all. Yeah. Like, uh, like look at if you were to pull down eight out of 10 Android apps, they're going to be in this category of like, yeah. oh, what the fuck? Like this was just slapped together with tutorials. And you're like, yeah, that's eight out of 10 of these. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it sheds a bunch of light on the whole, you know, oh, all the cybersecurity experts say the way that you do this, you just don't build software. And there are there are definitely far more technical and very complicated reasons for why, like, trusting election software against, you know, hackers is just not a great idea. Like, like they're not only saying, like, oh, don't do this because all software is bad. But, like, there is also the angle of, like, Humans make paper and they make software, but like we're pretty good at just making paper at this point. Like it just like paper doesn't not work. Yeah, it just <laughs> but, but software software has bugs all the time. And, you know, in a lot of ways, like we're OK with that. And also, like, lo and behold, it turns out that the whole software industry has a bunch of ways of finding all of those bugs before you probably see them. You know, some people may see them, but chances are, like, we have all sorts of different rollout strategies and feature flags and all sorts of things to make it so that if we shipped a bug, which we probably did, let's be honest, that by the time it goes out to the general population, we will have already run into a lot of those with, like, much smaller groups of people. It turns out that that's largely fine. I'm actually not interested in, like condemning the fact that a lot of software is like slapped together because it turns out that that's that's life that's just how it works right now the problem is that like we can we can absolutely absorb the cost of that most of the time <laughs> in an app that was built in a couple months and then i guess just tested in production in the most wild way possible that's not great that's that's that again like that is the part that you presumably pay experts for. You don't you don't pay experts to build your your app with like a couple inputs and a save button. You pay experts to make sure that when that app has to work in a mission critical setting that, that those couple of inputs and a save button do exactly what they're intended to do. Yeah, I have I have a friend that actually comes from this exact background of working on building software for political campaigns and political stuff. And Everything is slapdash in that entire industry. It's like the, what you're missing are, are comps and saying, okay, well, show me the good stuff. Show me that good, yeah. good stuff. And it doesn't exist. It's all shit um, because it's you build for the need, which is temporary. And so these things get built for the hot minute that they're needed um, mm -hmm. and then thrown away. Like you're not. I'm not going to need to, you know, I'm in a Senate campaign. I'm not going to need to raise funds for six years. So like, we'll rebuild it then. We're not, you know, don't even wor like worry about checking it into GitHub. Go ahead and do it, but we're not going to, we're not going to reuse that code six years from now. And so this is short shelf life, likely going to be replaced, not, not built for general purpose. So all the incentivization structure around this kind of software is, um, what you would typically see in marketing software development, which is like stand up a WordPress really fast, get a shopping cart up or whatever, get it out there, just collect the, collect the money, collect the data, whatever you need to collect, and then let it rot. Who gives a shit? You're done. Uh, mm -hmm. The people that, you know, nobody that worked on the Hillary Clinton campaign is still working on the Hillary Clinton campaign. That in fact, they're working on this thing now. It is really um, unfortunate that there's no continuity to this right now. Where in government institutions, there is major continuity. 
In fact, you're probably using computer systems that back to mainframes uh, that, you know, that are, you know, your taxes are being run in COBOL. Yeah. So like, but in, in the, in, in, and so you have this mental picture of this being associated with like government stuff, but it's not Mm -hmm. campaign stuff. It's totally separate. It's completely throwaway. And so you're probably right. This is mostly just scratching the surface of something that is actually completely widespread. It is telling that zero software developers that I know and trust are saying, no, 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 we can trust software. We just need to do blah. Now, software developers I don't trust are saying, put it on the blockchain, but those <laughs> will. <laughs> that's a different story. That's a different story. We don't need it. Well, the, I, everyone listening, I promise you, there will never be a blockchain episode of Copy, Paste, Repeat. <laughs> that will never happen. You can take that to the bank. You can take it. You can take it and and uh, get proof of proof of work on it. Like that's we're, gonna, we're absolutely going to eat these words. You can take that to the Bitfinex. If if we if we make it to like episode 150, and we're just like, what do we talk about? And some crazy blockchain thing happens. We're going to talk about it, and someone is going to just like clip this and send it to us. I'm going to eat so much crow. I the problem is. <laughs> No, you don't understand. I physically can't talk about it. Like, like I have a friend who's really into it and he'll talk about it for like, like 30 seconds and he'll see my eyes glaze over and I'll be like, I'm done. I'm instantly done. I'm out. Like, I don't care what, what good it can do for the world. I don't care. So anyway, there's like this whole endemic thing is endemic to the political campaign industry and and you have these like shanty towns that get built up and then they get destroyed and then it's like it never happened. I don't have the ability to, you know, change the incentive structures around that. Like I don't even like, I don't think anybody does. So, but the, the real question is like, like you'd said earlier, like this is a simple tallying app, but it's for elections. I don't know if there's a way to technology your way out of it. And the fact that no security experts are saying anything but return to paper, software developers are saying, you what? <laughs> Not my code. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really interested to see, like, A, I want to know what happens to, to Shadow, who I honestly kind of feel bad for. Like, I know that to a, a large degree, they brought this on themselves. But at the same time, like you, you and I have had to work with companies that have partnerships with like, not has nothing to do with politics at all, but they're kind of like old, old school companies with pretty legacy, like interfaces like, uh, oh yeah, we need you to integrate with this thing. But like jokes on you, it only has a soap API. Uh, and you're like, oh crap. Like, (laughs) man, uh, really? That's it. And then like, you see the format that they want things in. It's like. It's, it's like the worst soap API imaginable. That sucks. But I imagine the Iowa Democratic Party is worse in that regard. Like, that's the other reason a lot of people don't do this. Because, like, who wants to take on that client? Like, you know, we can say, oh, you, you really should have immigration tested your app. But for all I know, the, the Democratic Party was like, what the hell? You want to? We don't know. Like, we don't have any way for you to test your like data format between our two things. Like, sorry, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just does the app work or not? Yeah. And like, no one even understood what they were asking. If they were asking, I mean, it, it would be an extremely tough gig. Um, there's a lot of pressure, but, but like the big mistake I think was like, a, you took on this gig in the first place. You took on, it looks like, uh, it, it began in August. Like they, they the initial engagement was started in August for a thing in february oh my god and you know they even said like oh yeah we had to do we, had, we spent a lot of time like gathering requirements which would be a very important part of any app development process <laughs> but especially this one and so like we didn't have a final production version until like a few weeks before the caucus so like hey your first mistake was taking on that client that close to the to the date especially if you're not like expert app developers. Can, based on what but can you see said. it? It's exciting. And I remember running a consultancy and taking on bad clients and being like, oh, fuck. Now, but what we did was we fired those clients when we realized this isn't good for anybody. I have to imagine the pressure was enormous. 
you also cannot fire if, if if your bread and butter is we make tools to sell to progressive political parties. Like we're we're not app consultants at all, but we we need our name out there so people will buy our products. And our customers are a very niche group of people. It is like progressive political organizations. Yeah, you can't fuck that up. We cannot fire the Democratic Party as clients. <laughs> like that's just not a that's not a marketing angle we can take. Yeah, we're having a real tough time getting the DSA to pay their bills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, and also like if you think about it, if the fact that that Shadow is not an app consultancy and they still took this on, tells you something. It tells you that, like, either A, they have always run an app consultancy on the side, and they just don't advertise it on their site at all, which is possible. Or they did a one-time thing when the Democratic Party was like, hey, you make software for Democrats, basically. Will you make software for these Democrats? We are. It's different. We are the Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and they were like, oh, my God, like, we don't do this, but we could be the company that made the app that like technologized the Iowa caucus. Our name would be everywhere. And then suddenly would people would buy our tools because they would know us as a trusted organization that builds technological tools for progressive political parties. Like, of course that's enticing. But also, you don't take that on with like six months to, to, to build the whole app and no clear requirements up front and no like clear way to test that your app works before it has to like go out on the big night. Like, yeah, this was, this was an, a call out of made out of inexperience that was followed by what were likely a series of very rational decisions. What, how do you prevent this? Somebody, where do you get an adult to come into the room and be like, this is nothing. This is nonsense. (laughs) Where is there uh, Chris and Brandon to come in and be like, no, 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 red button. This is not happening. Anyone at Shadow, do you, do you listen to copy? The problem, the problem is, yeah, they, how do, because you have to pay handsomely for that skill. Like you and I do okay out there in the world. Yeah. And people, because people understand that the skill to avoid those kinds of problems is expensive. And the people buying this software were cheap. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, they had other bidders. Maybe that's the lesson. Really, the fault to me lies almost entirely in the purchasers. Yeah. Where they go, these people are underbidding everybody else by nearly 10x. (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you? You did this. And so in a rare, like that I feel here, here's who I feel bad for. The people who lost were the developers who worked on this thing, thought they were going to do something they were really proud of that was going to like leave an imprint. And it did, but not the way that they wanted Uh, and are hiding their social media profiles and stuff right now and hiding their affiliation. The founder of this company, who's like clearly a doofus, but, um, you know, tried his best. God bless him, but shouldn't have sold this. But to me, um, the amazing thing is the the person that should be held accountable for this is the person who made the purchasing decision. And he got basically had to resign as the uh, Iowa Democratic Party chair, which is like, Mm -hmm. That's just, that's weird. This isn't how that usually goes. Usually the people, you know, who had the least amount of influence over the decision-making are the people that get rolled over. And so the good news to me, the good news is that, that like the person who fucked up the worst got held accountable for it. And I hope the lesson is if somebody comes in and underbids by 10 X, maybe they're not the tech disruptors that they claim to be. Yeah. Like, Hey, no, these are the people who are trying to like sell you something. And they, I'm sure they pointed to like healthcare.gov and they're like, those people tried to, you know, it was like a $400 million debacle. And, and we, and, you know, tech people came in and saved the day for $4 million. Like, yeah, there's some truth to some of that, <laughs> but not here, not this way, not now. Yeah. I think to, to corroborate your point, the, the article actually ends with a, a quote from someone from uh, Greg Miller, who co-founded something called the Open Source Election Technology Institute, which actually sounds legit. Yeah. 
and they said uh, we were extremely concerned about the fact there was there was so much opacity. I said over and over again, trust is the product of transparency times communication. The DNC steadfastly refused to offer any transparency. It was hard to know what to ex- expect except the worst. Uh, and then they apparently issued a public warning to the Iowa Democratic Party uh, weeks before the caucus saying you should not use this app. Wow. Uh, it is a bad idea. And they were like, thanks, but no thanks. And I'm like, we're, we're not even going to like let you in on how this is all is working. But we're definitely going to ignore your advice. So, yes, like I think I think it is definitely the case that the fault really does land on the purchasers. Iowa Democratic Party. Come on our podcast. Yeah. Defend yourselves. <laughs> Defend yourselves, knaves. Uh, you absolute know, chumps. Technology is tough, man. It is. It's real tough. It is. It's a tough, um, it's a tough industry. And, and you forget how spoiled you are when you work at a real company with real professionals that are paid actual professional salaries to do actual professional jobs. In, in, in most cases, they're generally pretty professional. In some mm-hmm. cases, they're children that somehow worked their way into that also does exist yeah that's also a thing maybe we'll talk about that someday (laughs) like what do you do (laughs) when you find out you're working with an absolute child but yeah this was this was unfortunate but like like really illustrates some of the like pathological shit happening in our industry that sometimes we don't think about or don't detect because we're so cushy in our like you and i are now at larger companies and people mostly comport themselves with professional decorum and make decisions like grownups. And, and then you realize, Oh wow, there's like a whole series of cottage industries that prey on, uh, pur- purchasers who don't know any better. Yeah. <sighs> and, and, and the people, almost every single person probably in this meant well, that's the bummer about this is there was no, like this wasn't just a charlatan going through he, these, all these people wanted to do something good. Yeah. And even with the best of intent, if you, you got to stay sharp on there, you got to keep your head in a swivel. Yeah. Yeah. There is no, no world in which like when they report on, on how much was paid for this, it's, it's not clear what they mean, what they mean to communicate with that number. Like for all I know, people who don't work in software and especially haven't worked with a consultancy, see they paid $60,000 for an iPhone app. And are like, that is an exorbitant amount of money. I cannot believe that they paid $60,000 for this and it doesn't do anything. Like, maybe they think that. I don't know. But there is, like, in the actual world of software, no one is going, we're going to hoodwink this client for 60 grand. No. Especially not, we're going to hoodwink this client for 60 grand in a way that will definitely play out on an international stage. <laughs> yeah, no, $60,000 is like a hiccup in consulting. And so like that is, uh, yeah, I remember closing my first deal for like $50,000 and my business partner was like, it's not enough money. It's not enough money. <laughs> I was so excited to close the deal and it was about half the money we needed to do this project. And I was like, ah, oh, oh, shit. Lessons learned, were learned, learned my friend. Oh, yes. Lessons were learned. Uh, hey, um, Chris. Let's not start a consultancy, even a mission-driven one. Let's just not do it. Let's not do a mission-driven consultancy where we are what underpaid. If, what if we made a, a, an extensible caucus app? <laughs> and ex- I mean, here's uh, the, what if we didn't. What if we didn't make throwaway campaign software? We just made campaign software that everyone could use and tailor to their own needs, and probably white label. That, that's never gone wrong. That's yeah. That, well, this honestly, like, I would open source it and not charge money for it. And then you can consult a white label and be like, whoop, this is open source and free. But if you want someone to install and run it for you and put your logo on it, well, that's Mm -hmm. that's three quarters of a million dollars, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And people are like, that's highway robbery. And you're like, yeah, all right, go try the rest of them. You'll be back next year. Fuckers. Good luck. luck. (laughs) We'll see you next year. We'll see you next election cycle. Yeah. Well, all's well that ends well. Yeah. I mean, uh, we still don't have results from that, the, the caucus. So maybe, maybe this will cause people to go, Hey, you know, what's a bad idea is this elementary school gym, gym bullshit. Maybe <laughs> yeah. just go in a booth and punch a card and 
collect the cards like, and tally maybe, it. Maybe, maybe the real problem wasn't the app. It was the fact that this like fucking process is so complicated that it required an, like someone to basically build a custom calculator. Yeah. Uh, so that like people could even figure out what the hell the results were. Yeah, it makes hanging in dimpled chads seem like advanced technology. <laughs> God, for the days of the hanging chad. Oh man. Well, well, that's I guess fun. We should, we should, we should, we should, we should stop. We should we stop. Should we're, yeah, we're now now we're just now we're just beating them up. But yeah, this was this was a fun discussion. Made me think about a couple of things I'd like to discuss with you in the future. But this was this was good. Little uh, little break to talk about something that other podcasts probably aren't bringing their technical heat to. So uh, they probably have hot takes, but they don't know what the shit show like is like on the inside. But we do. Yeah. And a lot of the listeners to this podcast, they know. They know. It's they a know. shit show. You know. <laughs> you know. We all feel it together. We're, it's like the band of brothers, but also brothers and not brothers. Sisters. Brothers, sisters, what have you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Chris, thank you for, for bringing this. Uh, for everybody else joining us, thank you. And uh, if you would like to share topic ideas or things you'd like to hear about, you can get at us at copy paste pod on Twitter. I am Ted Viking on Twitter. And I am 15 letter max. And uh, we do love the ratings and reviews uh, and that uh, go into your podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Google play, what have you give us those five stars. feels so good. And uh, we will see everybody next week. Bye. Bye y'all.